Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia welcomes you to our weekly time of worship and study of God's Word with Pastor Jesse Wagoner. So sit back, relax, and get comfortable, because when you're here, you're home. Corinthians chapter 5. There's a verse here that, that we, you know. You, you maybe have memorized it, you know it, you're familiar with it, and it's simply uh, these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. One more time. If, I'll tell you what, let's try this. Let's just read it together. Now, I know some of you have, if you have a different translation, just act like yours is the right one, everybody else is wrong. Okay, that's fine. Let's just so we can read this out. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, wait a minute, I'm the only one talking. We're going to read this out loud together. Okay, did I say that? Okay, here we go. Right. Oh, 517, 2 Corinthians. Okay, we're going to start over. 
We're going to read this verse together. If it doesn't work this time, we're going on. Together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Today we're going to talk about the new you. He declares to us that if you're in Christ, if you're one of his children, if you are a child of love, you're not the same as you used to be. In fact, it's not even a partial transformation. It is a total transformation. All things have become new. A new creation, a new living person. Now, that is a powerful truth because we need to look at ourselves the right way. We live in a world where there's all sorts of things. I think, since we're thinking about children this morning, you know, maybe you can remember back to your childhood or maybe some of you are still experiencing. Sometimes it can be brutal. You know, something that someone thinks is funny that attaches a name or a descriptor to you, but it cuts deep into your soul. You know, that old thing we tell our children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Isn't that a lie? And there's been sometimes I'd just almost rather get a smack with a stick than I would uh, some of the things I've heard that attaches itself to your soul. So these words from God himself that we're in Christ, that we're a new creation, all things have become new. He looks at us differently, and we are to look at ourselves differently because of our relationship with Christ. Now, our enemy knew, he knew that if we would, if, if we would claim this, we would have more, more rest and less stress in life. Our enemy knew that if we practice it, we would have less frustration and more joy in life. Our enemy knew that if we used this, we would serve more and sulk less. Our enemy knew if we believed this, we would have less worry and spend more time in worship. He also knew that we'd just generally be less grumpy than we tend to be in life. So in order to get us away from this truth, in order to steer us away from understanding it, and he knew he couldn't destroy the Word of God. He couldn't just rip this verse out and we never see it. The Word of God is eternal, so that's not the solution. But basically, he has told us three lies. And in, embedded in these lies, if we believe them, is everything to extract all of the meaning, all the power, all the change, all of the difference, these words and this truth about who we are in Christ from our lives. If he can paralyze us by disbelieving, even if he can't destroy the message, he can get us off the side of the road and retard our progress toward maturity in Christ. So I want to talk about these three lies that are before us. And I would suspect they're not going to sound that strange to you. Maybe we'll put them in a, word, in a phrase or in a package that sounds a little different. But nonetheless, it's, this, is not, this is not anything new. And it's not anything that you all and myself have not experienced over and over again. So, you ready? Lie number one. Your image determines your identity. Your image determines your identity. In other words, we want to look good, whether that is physical or our position in life, our image. We don't, we don't want the, the imperfections to show forth. And the problem is, if we can get us focused on image, it takes us away from the image that God has imprinted on us, that we are children of God, that we are children of love that we are his treasured possession, that we are made in him, that we bear his image, that we are going to live forever, as we talked about last week. So, how do we counteract this? Now, first of all, you have to understand that this comes at us in very subtle ways. We live in a world that's obsessed with beauty. Have you, have you noticed that? 
Every year for the last 33 years, People Magazine, which is not one of my favorite publications, I don't think I've ever spent a dollar of my money buying People Magazine, I do see it on the newsstands, but People Magazine every year brings out a list of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. The interesting thing is, every year, the makeup of that list changes. Kind of tells you something, doesn't it? Either people get old, or people get not relevant, or people get ugly, or people don't care, or we've got more beautiful people bumping you off of the list. So this pursuit of trying to look good and maintain an image, we all know that it's, it's destined to frustration at best and failure at worst. Julie and I were watching a video, one of the videos we were watching on Right Now Media this week, and uh, the speaker was talking about they did this study of people who were in the fashion industry, fashion models. And they would, they, would, they would ask them questions and survey after they had looked at themselves in a mirror. Now, these are professional beauty people, okay? These are people that everybody else says, this is the standard of beauty, you understand. And he said, inevitably, rather than being attracted to their features that were considered positive, they would pick out things that they considered negatives about themselves, even when they looked at it. If professional beauty people can pick out the negatives, we don't stand much of a chance. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament that I want to take you through with these three lies. It's going to help us understand this a bit. And you can either listen in or if you want to flip back and forth in your Bible, you do whatever you think is appropriate and efficient. But I'm going to call you back to a story that's found in 2 Samuel, beginning about chapter 13, 14, 15, and following. It's a story of a man that you probably know. His name is Absalom. The most significant thing you know about Absalom was that he was one of David's sons. And he was a son who believed that when David got off the scene... He should be the rightful king. And there's several things about him. And, there's, and by the way, this occurs after David and Bathsheba, that whole story. And by the way, David's family life, in fact, God said it, the sword is not going to part out of your own family. It becomes, and by the way, sin can be forgiven. David's sin was forgiven. But sin also has consequences that still go on in this world. And you see it in David's life. Uh, Absalom takes revenge on a, a half-brother that had abused his full sister. And it gets really ugly. He flees away. He's living in exile, and uh, suddenly, uh, after a fair period of time, there's a, a, an effort to bring him back in. He comes back to Jerusalem and so forth and so on. But in chapter 14, we have this description of Absalom, 14, verse 25. Now listen to this description of image. Now in all Israel, there was no one who, who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. He would have made the number one on the top 50 beautiful people, I guess. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. So they cut off about five pounds of hair. He had some kind of head of hair, okay? That was sort of like the, 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 the pinnacle of all of his beauty. But it started at his feet and went to the top of his head, and he was just a good-looking guy. And then when he starts his plot... Because he plots to overthrow while his dad is still living, to, be, to get rid of his dad, kill his dad, in other words, and set himself in, in, as king, a coup, if you will. It says this, as he tried to embolden his image, it says in 15.1, After this happened, Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses, by the way, a motorcade. You want to say it that way? That's what we call it today. And 50 men to run before him. He had an entourage. Wherever he traveled, it was impressive. It looked good. He looked good. He had the hair. He had the looks. He had the fame. He had all that he needed. But you're going to find out it was all a lie. 
because his identity was not found in his image. His identity was he was vindictive. He was revengeful. He hated his own father. He wanted power at any cost and didn't care who got killed in the process. At one time, he's trying to get one of David's generals to come see him, and the general won't come see him, so he goes over and sets the general's wheat field on fire to get his attention. I mean, you think about someone who cares nothing about anyone but themselves, uh, this guy is, is a full-blown in that self-centered thing. So I want you to think about that, and we're going to come to his end, and I think most of us, I'm not particularly worried about spoilers today because most of us know the story of Absalom anyway, and we know that uh, you know how the story ends, but it doesn't end well. It all comes crashing down in a very spectacular way. Why? Because he put his emphasis on image. Now let's think with me for a moment about this where it says, I'm now back in, in first, Second Corinthians, okay? Where it says that we're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's two parts to this verse. And this helps us with that image, okay? This helps us with that image, that, that, that lie of that image. Where it talks about, first of all, our position. That we are in Christ. In Christ says, if you want to know our true identity, it's not what you see on the outside. It's that which is unseen. And what is unseen, if you're a follower of Christ, you are in him. Part of that speaks of safety. When Noah's family and the animals went in the ark and God shut the door, they were in a place of safety. When you're in Christ, you're in a place of safety. Your eternal life is in play. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about laying hold on eternal life. We have to understand that we are going to live forever. Otherwise, we don't ever get off square one. We're stuck on the ghost spot. We are all looking for a place to feel at home. Pastor Jesse Wagoner and the congregation of Mount Calvary Baptist are ready to welcome you because when you're here, you're home. With their warm, welcoming environment, you will feel right at home as you experience the life-changing power of Christ. Mount Calvary is located at 1509 Bigley Avenue in Charleston, West Virginia at the Westmoreland exit, half mile north of the I-64, I-77 split. To learn more, visit calvarywv.com. Also, it talks about that we have access, that we have membership. There's some place, some of you have where you work, you have to have an ID card or you have to scan it or you have to sign in with a code to get in the door. Uh, sometimes we have particular social things, you have to have a membership card, you have to have a membership to get access. When we are in Him, we are in. We are in. We have access to heaven itself. We have access to talk to God. We have access to the promises of God. We have access to all that he has given us in the word of God about our future and our present. We are in him. And then lastly, when it says we're in Christ, that speaks of family. We are part of his family. Now, I know some of us, we, we love each other and we're family here, but you know how this is in your real family, your, your biological family, your blood family. You know, if someone says something about a member, you, know, you can say something about a member of your family, but don't let anyone else say about it, something bad about a member of your family. You're suddenly going to get defensive, you're going to get your hackles up, and you're going to respond. Why? Because they're in. They, we're part of this family. We have access. And by the way, God is not pleased when someone says something bad about a member of his family. In fact, he says, don't seek revenge, don't decide to settle the score, because he says, by the way, I love my family so much, if my family is mistreated, I will take the responsibility to settle that score. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're in. Anyone is in Christ, we are secure in him, we have access with him and to him, and we have this one who gives his benevolent care to us in family. 
So I'm going to tell you in a moment. I'll give you a little head start on it. There's a couple of ways that we access this, this overcoming this lie. One is that, that when, we tell, when, we, when we hear these lies, that we identify them as lies. When our mind starts thinking, I am not good enough, that lie needs to be counteracted by the work of the Spirit saying, that's a lie. I feel like junk. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I don't measure up. The Spirit of God, if we're listening, is going to say to us, that is a lie. And then the Spirit of God who identifies as a lie is going to take us back to identify the truth which is found in the Word of God. In the beginning, God created man and, and the woman, and he created them in his own image. We talked a little bit about that, that embeddedness of eternality we talked about last week. And we are in Christ. Now, all that sin messed up, Christ has redone because it says in our verse, all things, have, all things are new. Everything has changed. We are in him, a new creation, new life, eternal life. And we need to now then not only identify the lie when we are telling it to ourselves, but we need to listen to the Word of God to find the antidote to it. And thank you for coming this morning to access and be involved in our discussion around the Word of God. And you remember the first part of this series we did back in January, it's simply this, we have to be, there is no substitute, there is no alternative for a growing, healthy Christian to be in the Word of God every single day. And maybe you said, I started out well. You know, January is the month we all start out well with what we're going to do. We have our resolutions. People, people said that a resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. I think that's a pretty good description. But we need to have some positive change. Let's stay faithful to being in the Word of God, okay? Okay, second lie, lie number two. You are what you do. You are what you do. If you accomplish something, I'm something. If I get a trophy, I'm important. If I get some recognition, if I get some applause, that says something about me. My, my, my worth, my value... Is all, is all tied up in what I do, what I accomplish. We find that even in the most casual of conversations. Jill and I ran into a couple. We were in a particular place. We were on vacation, and, and they said, hello. We said, hello. Where are you, you know, two things you do. Where are you from? You know, we, covered that, we covered the geography lesson. And then suddenly the question is, I asked the gentleman, what do you do? And they told me about their careers and a little bit about us. They, they talked a lot more about themselves than we talked about us, but that was okay. But what do you do? We, we're attaching that. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do something and accomplish something, but that does not determine our value. It does not determine our value. Because our value is timeless. When it says in this verse, all things have, have become new, when it says old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, you're a new creation, that does not end. Your ability to do, shock, shock alert, okay, spoiler alert, what you have the ability to do today you will not always have the ability to do in this life. You understand that? You get older, you get to a place you're going. Sometimes we're someday down the road, if Christ doesn't return before, we're going to check out of this world by death. And what we do is temporary, but who we are is permanent. So we need to extract this lie from us. Let's go back to, let's go back to Absalom for just a moment. And I'll just summarize this because uh, it, it's, it goes... Uh, over a lengthy period of time. But basically, after he comes back to Jerusalem, Aslan kind of hangs out at the gate where people are coming and going. And a lot of the coming and going where people had a, a lawsuit or a case that they had to be judged, so they wanted to come to the king to get a decision. And the Absalom would be standing there, well, where are you from? What, what are you here for? 
and they'd give their case, and of course everyone's going to plead their case from their point of view, and then Absalom would say something like, oh, man, if I were the king, I'd take care of this. Oh, you're in the right. If I were only king, and he began just set, putting these seeds of dissatisfaction, and he got to the point where it says later, when David finally figures out he's in trouble, he, his advisor says, the hearts of all Israel are with Absalom. And all he did was saying, not even what he did, he's saying, this is what I would do. And they attached it. And he thought, as long as I could manipulate things so that they love me rather than my father, if I can do the right things, I am somebody. Question. How's that going for you, Absalom? How does that turn out? I'll give you the rest of the story in just a little bit. And I want to remind you that when it comes to the doing part, you are what you do. You can only do what you can do temporarily. But who you are is permanent. And you understand, you take the most skilled person, you take the most skilled person, next Sunday's the Super Bowl. I don't know if you figured that out or not, but I don't know how you could miss it, right? So when it gets to the playoffs, Every team but one ends with a loss. Have you figured that out? So of all these teams filled with multi-million dollar players who are the absolute best in their profession, only one team wins. And you may already be deciding who you would prefer that to be at this point, or maybe you just don't care. But even that accomplishment, I mean, do you remember who won the Super Bowl five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, last year? We'd have to think about it. And it becomes not that important. But I say that to say this, even the most skilled still are imperfect. The best quarterback is still going to throw an interception every once in a while. The best running back is going to fumble the ball. The best lineman is going to miss a block sometimes. We cannot be perfect, so our perfection cannot be seen in what we do. And when that lie comes coming into our ears saying, man, are you ever going to accomplish anything? Are you ever going to get ahead? Where's the rewards for what you're doing? When those negative things fit in, we need to do this. First of all, identify it as a lie, and that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to be able to work in our lives? First of all, by keeping our hearts and minds and souls clean and confessing our sins when we've transgressed to allow Him freedom to work. So we identify the lie, and then secondly, replace the lie with the truth. Here's the great truth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is nothing we do in that equation at all. All we do is accept what he's already done for us. And the perfect, the only perfect person has perfectly provided for all that we need. So we replace it with that. Lie number three. It is simply this. Your influence determines your value. Oh, if people like me, I must be important. If people applaud, I must be important. If people do what I say or they take my recommendation or they seek me out for advice or they're thinking about me or they see me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, then I must be important. How many likes did I get on my last post? Did my selfie generate any buzz in the world? You understand? There's people that are locked into that sort of thinking. And on some level, we can get locked into our thinking. Find a, a third grader in your life that's in a school setting, okay, where they're in a classroom setting. Not all students are educated that way. But if you have that opportunity, just ask, who's the most popular boy and girl in your class? They'll give you an answer just like that. Because even at that age, they're doing all this evaluation. Who's the, and maybe it's he's the most athletic or she's the prettiest or she has the best clothes or whatever, whatever it is. But we start this early, believing this lie that if we're influential, we're powerful, we have an opportunity to do something significant that, that affects the maximum number of people, that somehow that says that we're important. In Absalom's case, 
It was simply this. His father learns of this coup attempt, and he has to flee Jerusalem. Absalom comes into Jerusalem without a fight, sits on the throne, acts like the king. The only thing he has to do is finish is to send some people out in battle to find the remnants of the, the army that's still loyal to David and to kill his father. He, it's smooth sailing from then on. And he, the thing he believes is that the whole nation is with me. They all love me. I'm their hero. I'm their guy. I'm the one that they're supporting. Then I'm important. But you know how the story ends, don't you? He's going, and David maneuvers so that he's going to fight among the woods in a forest rather than out in the plains where he has a little bit of a tactical advantage. So they've got sort of David and his men in there, and Absalom comes riding on his animal, his, 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 his donkey, his mule, whichever it was, and he's riding along, and he goes under a tree, and he gets his hair caught. My hair will never be the, better, the same after that. But he gets his hair caught in the tree, and the animal goes on, and he's just hanging there, suspended by his head. There's some poetic justice when God does something. Have you noticed it? The one thing the Bible calls out was he had this five-pound head of hair. He was beautiful from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And suddenly he's hanging there, helpless, hopeless, and about to be struck down by the enemies of himself and the, those loyal to David. And a servant sees him hanging there, goes back and finds the, the general that was loyal to, to David and says, I just saw, I saw Absalom hanging by his head in a tree. He says, well, what did you do? He said, well, I didn't want to kill him. He says, you know, I'd have given you a lot of money if you'd have killed him. He goes back, and a group of them swarm over him. He's, he's killed right there in the tree. And just like that, his dreams are all destroyed because he believed the lie that image is everything, that what he did mattered, and that influence was what really gave him value in life. You and I need to be careful that we don't believe the same lies. Let's go back to our verse for just a moment. Found here in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, now by the way, therefore, if, are two important words in this verse. It does not mean that everybody's in Christ, a new creation, and old things have passed away, all things have become new. It's a therefore if. And if you're in the therefore if category of this verse, let me just take a moment and say, you need Christ and you need him now. Because he can help you identify those lies and you can be in him and you can be safe and you can be secure. Access to the promises of the care of God and the promise of eternal life throughout all eternity. If you need Christ this morning or if that's an open question, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. We're available after the service. Maybe come with a Christian friend or family member that could have that same conversation with you. But you need to make sure that you understand and you're in Christ. If we could help you with that, we want to. But if you are in Christ... Here's the reality, verse 17 again. He's a new creation, new life. He's created life when there was no spiritual life there. Old things are passed away. We don't need to beat ourselves up over our past, but just understand it's under the blood. And understand who we are, this new creation is in the image of Christ. The image is from Him. What we do, we do through His strength and do in His will. That's all we can accomplish in this life, but it's all about it for His glory. Influence of other people. If we have the applause of heaven, why do we need the applause of men? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And those promises are there to help us identify the lies. That's the work of the Spirit as we stay clean and listen to him. And after we've identified the lies, we identify the truth of God through our constant 
barraging our minds with the truth of Scripture. And friends, as we sang a moment ago, you're a child of love. You're a child of the King. You're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You are forgiven. You've been given eternal life. Your citizenship is in heaven. You've been sealed with the Spirit of God. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. The new you. If we understand who we are in Him, it does so much to secure us now and make us useful for God. So you make sure you identify those lies and you make sure you identify the truth of who you are in Him. Father, thank you for the truth that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, there's lots in our world. There's lots in our minds. There's lots in our experience and our life that discourages. Our enemy wants us to believe the lies and then frustrate us when we find out those lies are that but lies, empty promises. But Father, we want to find our security, our help in you. We want to live as the children of the king. We want to live as those who are children of love. Help us to live that way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and study brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. If you are in the Charleston area, we would love for you to worship with us in person. For service times and more information, visit our website, calvarywv.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.